Philippians chapter 2. Again, happy Father's Day to you. Hope you guys are doing well. If I haven't introduced myself to you, I'd love to uh, do that right after the service. You can meet me out in the lobby where as soon as we're done, the sweet, savory smell of popcorn will be awaiting for you. The church should have said amen right there, but y'all are asleep on me. All right, thank you. Unless you just don't like popcorn, and I would put you in the category of odd. All right, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse number 12. Hear the word of the living God this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Y'all have heard that verse before, quite sure, right? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Selah. Selah is not in there. I just wanted you to just... Wrap your minds in verse 14. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be poured out, or I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One more time, let us pray over the reading of God's word. Thank you so much, Jesus, that... You have just spoken to us through your authoritative and fallible word of the living God. So maybe we were looking for some divine word. I thank you, Lord, you just spoke. And I pray that through your word, you would bring sanctification in and through us, that you would grow us more into your image. And perhaps if someone is lost and does not know you, Lord, maybe you would just call them into your gathering. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave, we won't say, oh, look at the guy yelling, but they would say, man, look how incredible and awesome King Jesus is. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul starts the beginning of the section pointing back to the reality of what he just talked about, and that reality was of who Jesus is. He's Jesus came and he humbly served and he sacrificially gave his life. That was verse 1 through 11, that Christ lowered himself or he emptied himself, not of his, of his deity, as someone believed, but that Christ came and he, and he served and he, washed our, and he washed the disciples' feet and he gave his life as fully God, fully man. And so Paul says that in light of what Christ's example for us is, therefore. So anytime you see that, therefore, it's connecting us to what just happened in the previous part of the scripture. 
And he says, so therefore, and what, how does he describe the church? Like, this, is, this is one of my favorite parts about Philippians is Paul's like deep affectionate love for this church. We don't really get this with many other letters, do we? He says, therefore, who, what does he call them? My beloved. Like, I don't know about you, but I lo- if Paul were writing about me, I would want Paul to say, hey, dear Matthew, my beloved. Not in kind of a weird way that it kind of sounds. But like if he was writing to Refuge City Church, he would say, hey, Refuge City, my beloved church. Because we don't really get that with a lot of the other churches. Like, like when you think about Corinthians and some of these other letters that he writes, it's mainly like Daddy Paul. Like, get your life together, church, right? It's like, if I had a rod, I'd strike you because you guys are going so far off course. You're allowing all these wicked folks to come in here with their crazy garbage message. Get your life together. But he doesn't do that with the Philippians. He looks at the Philippians and he says, you guys, y'all my favorite church, but don't tell the other ones. You know how like everybody has a favorite kid? Oh, come on now. No, Judas, not you. Uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Deep down inside, every parent has a favorite kid. If you say you don't, you are a liar and need to repent. Paul's got a favorite kid. And he's saying, yo, those Philippians down the road, that's my boys and those are my girls. And so in light of all of that, in light of him talking to his favorite child, he says this right here. Notice he says, work out your own salvation. Notice, not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. In other words, start working the gospel that has been in your life, deep-seated in your life, and allow that gospel to work out of your life. That's what he's talking about here. It's not something that we obtain or that we have to do more because Paul would have said, work for your salvation. When we, we would have known that that would have been some kind of heresy. Paul says, work out your salvation. Like, show the results. That's one way of how this can be translated of work out. Show the results. If you've been working out in the gym and you've got like this massive muscles going out and you rip off your shirt and show the results. None of us would know anything about that, right? That's what Paul is saying. Like, man, God's been doing this work inside of you. And now it's time to show the world what he's been doing, right? Because what does he say in verse 13? Who's doing the work? Is it you? Nah. It's God doing the work in you. This is reminiscence back in chapter one, verse six, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete. And so Paul is just kind of repeating himself here. And he's like, listen, that good work that started inside of you, when the gospel took deep seated inside your heart, now it's time to show off the results. Yeah, because you know, Jesus, he lived this perfect, sinless, sacrificial life. Yeah, now it's time for that, which saved you to be shown throughout the world. And then he says, how is this gonna happen? How do you work out your salvation? How do you work out your salvation? The one which Christ has done inside of you. You do it how? With fear and trembling. Now, 
Sometimes we get the word fear a little confused because sometimes we think, well, what he's actually saying is that we're just supposed to be like reverent. Well, there's a part that's true about that. You need to be reverent about a holy and just God. And yes, there is truth that you ought to be in awe of him, but there's more truth to what Paul is saying is that you need to be afraid. Sometimes we equate our Christian walk with like this, you know what, if I screw up, it's fine because God will forgive me. There's always that forgiveness. Grace, 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 grace. Right? Don't we do that? Oh, you guys are the sanctified crowd. Okay. It's fine. I'll screw up. It's fine. It's fine. I can live how I want because, you know, I was saved. I said that prayer. We have no fear. Jesus has become our homeboy. He's not your homeboy. He is a just God who deserves our fear. I think some of this can be equated to how, you know, like pick any canyon that's around us. And if you like, just think about how beautiful, majestic the views are around here. I mean, like guys, we got it made. I'm from Georgia. We didn't have views like this. Like we had kudzu. You know what kudzu is? It's the vine of Satan. You grow one seed of kudzu and the next month it has taken over acres upon acres of your land. It has strangled out trees and sucked the life out of them. That's Georgia with a smelly river running through the seams of the border. You ever wanted to visit Georgia? Now you don't. (laughs) Now the northern part's fine, right? Got some pretty mountains up there. But guys, we got it made. We can go to Bryce Canyon or to Cedar Breaks and we can stand on the ledge of a canyon and be in awe. But, and they're like this little chugging sense in your stomach. Like if I make one wrong move, I'm going to die. You're not going to fall 10 feet, a thousand feet. Think about that in terms of when he says, when you're working out your your, your salvation with fear, with this awe, like, man, you know, one, one wrong move here. Now, this isn't for us to be like always afraid of a God who's got a rod, who's ready to smite you on the head anytime you screw up. It's a call that Paul is giving them. Take this thing serious, guys. The gospel that's been seeded into your life, take it serious and show the results of what Christ has done in and through you. Now, here's my favorite part, because I think this is the part that I probably struggled most with this week as I was studying this, is in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I wish Paul would have said, do some things. Do some things without grumbling. It's okay to complain about some things. It's fine. I would have been far more appreciative of Paul if he would have said that to us. But that's not what he says. Like, think about this. Have you ever talked negatively about someone? No. Okay. You guys are perfect and good. You ever complained about your spouse to somebody else? I haven't, babe. Just FYI. I don't complain about you. 
Kids, have you ever rolled your eyes at your parents like so far back that the eyes are going to get stuck behind your head? At least that's what they told me when I was growing up. I don't think that's physiologically, I don't think that could actually happen. Or you make a face and your parents say, your face is going to get stuck like that. No, it's not. That's stupid. Have you ever just argued or just disputed with someone? Like you're known as the guy that's always causing rifts in a relationship. What does Paul say? He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Stop being mean-spirited. Instead, we are be a people who are full of grace. Who, who Paul would say in the letter to the Corinthians, letting no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Like if it's not building someone up, just shut up. That's, that's Matthew's translation of this. If what you're about to say is about to tear somebody down, then shut your mouth. That's what Paul's message is. Now, Paul's not giving us this idea to where be fake. Because we know tough times are going to come, right? We know that we're going to be in some kind of trauma. And so Paul's not saying like when somebody comes to you and they ask you how you're doing, you're not supposed to be like this chirpy, fake person. Like, oh, everything's just so grand and fine. My life is just great, right? Paul's not saying be fake. I mean, I, I know so many of, of those people, like when you ask them, and like you, and as a pastor, like I had an insight, like, because I know what people were going through just because people had to come talk to me about something. And so like, I knew what was happening. And I would ask them like, how are you doing? Because I really wanted to know, man, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but I know you're going through some garbage right now. It's okay to be honest with where you're at, but do it without grumbling and disputing. So what is he saying? Somehow you've got to have this sense of gratitude because isn't that kind of the opposite of grumbling and disputing? So when someone asks you, like, how you doing? Like, it's okay to be honest, but it's also good to say, but you know what? I'm grateful because I know God's been faithful for 39 years of my life. Why would he stop being faithful now? That's what Paul is saying. In 11 verse, and he gives us the why behind it. That's something that I just, I love Paul about because he, give, he always gives you the why behind the what. And he says this in verse 15. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Like, wow, Paul. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. So why is it important to be a Christian, to live out your Christian life? Why is it important to allow the gospel to root deeply in your soul and allow that to be made known to others? Why is it so important to live a life of gratitude? What is Paul saying here? Why? So you can stick out like a sore thumb. That's why. So that you could shine like, I like how the NIV, NIV translates this, is so that you can shine as a star or shine like a star. I'm not an alarmist by any means, right? But we know like there's some dark, creepy stuff going on in our culture today. Like, wouldn't you agree with that? Sex trafficking at the height of it in our culture. Abortion rates just skyrocketing and hundreds of thousands of babies murdered and, and hundreds of thousands of children in adoption care, right? 
some crazy stuff going on in our world. Useless murdering is just crazy. Why is it so important then? Because we live in a dark world that needs someone to be a light in its darkness. Now, I love Paul gives you kind of this weight off your shoulders because he doesn't say you shine because you are the star. You're not the star. I think so many Christians, when we read this, we're like, yeah. So Paul just said that I need to become a Christian influencer. And I need to get like at least 100,000 followers on my Twitter and on my Instagram. Paul just said I need to go write a book and that I need to become a public speaker so everyone can know who I am so that I am the star. There are no stars in the church, except for Christ Jesus. And so Paul is not saying that you are the star, but you shine as the star, as you shine as Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so how do we do this? Well, you stop grumbling and complaining, right? You know what he just said? You stop grumbling and stop complaining and stop arguing with everyone and stop making the world all about you. You become a person who is grateful and a person of gratitude and a person whose speech is filled with grace with also truth. And then he gives us the other way that we're supposed to be doing this as we are shining like stars. And what does he say in verse 16? You're holding fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? John 1 would say that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And who is that? Jesus. So we're holding fast to Jesus Christ, holding fast that Jesus is king, that he lived a perfect, sinless life and that he conquered the grave, and that the tomb is empty, and now we can live that out and proclaim that message. That's how we are to be this shining as stars. And then he goes on in verse 16, later in that verse, and he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be poor, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is calling you and I to give your life away for the gospel of Jesus And he's telling them there's this reality that as you are shining as a star or as a light, this is going to cost you something. But this is where you'll find your joy, right? Because rejoice is the verb to joy. As you are living out this life that is pointing others to Jesus, the King, There may be some suffering along the way. There may be some hardships. There may be some disappointments. There may be some tears shed and some difficult paths to cross. But know this, Philippians, he says, this is where you find your joy. So I had a few thoughts on this because when I read this and I read through this, I see this as a call to obedience, a call to what the church calls this word, it's kind of a uh, churchy word, sanctification. 
isn't a call to that. And that just means that we're just growing more into the image of Christ our Lord. Like when I read through this, I see that this is a deep call to obedience. And why is this important? Why are we to shine as the stars? I think there are four things that Paul tells us in this. It's all laced with joy. It all points us back to a joy. And the first joy is that it's found in God's joy. Why is this important? Because it's, it's found in God's joy. Look back at verse 12. Now, if you have some familiarity with the scriptures, you might expect that to read to work and to, uh, to will and to work for his glory. And which is efficient, which effect, effectively true, but that's not what Paul is saying. What does he say? It's for God's what? Pleasure. What is Paul saying? How is it for God's joy, for God's pleasure? What is for God's joy and God's pleasure? Your growth, your sanctification, you shining as a star. Here's what we, here's the crazy idea about God. God finds pleasure and joy in that. Think about that. Like let that, and I, you know, sometimes I have a rough time dealing with the fact that God could have joy in me. And it's not some future version, future sanctified version of you either. God finds pleasure and joy in you growing and being sanctified and made more into the image of Jesus Christ. Ephesians would talk about all who follow Jesus are God's glorious inheritance. God's treasured possessions. We just think sometimes that God is so displeased with us that when we mess up, God hates us. That when we, we have a, a bad thought that, oh God, now he just, he hates me now. Now I have, I can't go to God. God finds his pleasure in your growth and not just your future self, like the, the path you're on right now, God finds joy and pleasure. Whether your path is that you're just getting started in your Christian faith, God finds joy in that. Whether you are a seasoned, like seasoned saint of God, God finds pleasure in that also. And he finds his joy in your growth. What else? The other one is the world's joy. I think I could preach like a whole series on verse 14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. And I could have like three bullet points on each week and go through it for three months and still not be done. Why is it so important for the church to shine as stars without grumbling and complaining? It's for the joy of the world. This language is kind of traced back into Exodus and to the children of Israel. What were they always found doing? Grumbling, complaining, arguing. Oh, I'm so sick of this manna from heaven, Jesus. 
Really? We've got to eat the same thing every day? God leads them to the, eventually to the promised land. Most of the first generation didn't go because of their grumbling and complaining. And you would think that the call for the children of Israel would be to what? Shine as stars. Talk about the promise of God. But where do you always find them? They're always in a season of grumbling and complaining. God, you've led us out here to die. How dare you? And they're always found with their fist shaking into the heavens. Who were they representing? God, Yahweh. So why is this so important? That we, the church, who are we representing? Yahweh, Jesus. And my fear is that the church is viewed by the world by just those grumblers and complainers. Oh, that's just that group of people. They just grumble and complain all the time. They're just always so mean-spirited. They're always so offended by something or someone. But what does the world need right now? How does Paul... How does he describe the world in this passage? Crooked. Bunch of crooked jokers out there. And they're waiting for someone. They're waiting for the church to point them back to the only hope for humanity. And that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is why Paul is saying, it's so important for you guys not to be marked by grumblers, by complaining because a world needs you out there. That's where the world's joy is going to be found in a church who is pointing them back to the only hope for humanity. And Paul links this to our mission, right? To shine as lights in the world is connected to our obedience and to our gratitude. Our gratitude, our obedience, it affects the mission of the church. You know, it's hard not to grumble and complain. Friday in particular, when we were in Colorado City, hard not to grumble and complain when it's 106 degrees in a school building without AC. But the witness to these people that we were serving and loving on was that we were a people of gratitude and a people of grace. Who else is this for, right? It's also for the church's joy. Paul gives us a reality when he says, I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering. Now, a drink offering, this is interesting because a drink offering was used both in Jewish and the Greco-Roman culture where someone would pour out some wine on the ground or on an altar, typically on top of an animal sacrifice. In this picture, Paul used, he says, y'all, I'm spent, man. I'm tired. I am exhausted. I'm giving all of me to see your faith build up. Why is Paul doing this? He's doing this for the growth of the church. He's making all of these sacrifices. He's, where is he at? You remember where Paul's at when he's writing this? 
prison. And he's saying, I'm literally, like this is probably literally, I'm literally just pouring my life out as a, as a living sacrifice for the church's joy. What say you? Are you living that kind of life for the church's joy? I am no way about to describe my experience with Paul because I've never been in prison. And thank God, I hope I never go to prison because I don't, and guys like me don't do well in prison. But I could say this, I kind of feel some of Paul's anguish a little bit. The Lord has been incredibly gracious to me and to my family. This hasn't been necessarily a difficult season, but I would say this has probably been a season with difficulties in it. Been here in Utah for six months, and so we uprooted our entire life to come here, disappointing many, disappointing family. From being, in, in, in no way, again, I'm not meaning this like poor pitiful Matthew, but as someone who was a part of city officials, and I just knew every single person, to being in a town where I know absolutely no one except for just a few people, kind of wears and tears on your mind because you begin to think, well, wait a minute, was this the right thing to do? But then I see the week we've had this week where we were able to gift someone an incredible gift, where we had an incredible, amazing time getting to know people in the park and where we shared the love of Jesus Christ with gratitude to a group of FLDS people this week. Think about that impact. And let me tell you something, I'll pour my life out over and over again for that any day, any week. Because in those moments, in those moments, sorry, Rob, I think your guitar just broke a string. But in those moments, I find joy. Why? Because it's the church that we're doing this for. You want to experience some great amount of joy? Serve. Serve the church. Here's the other thing and the last thing, and I'll be out your way, because there's another joy that Paul talks about, and it's your joy. Because he says in verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Through his commands, he's trying to give you something. Like sometimes we think like being obedient to God means oh, I gotta, gotta give up all of the things that I love. That's a terrible perspective. Giving up the worldly life, walking in obedience, you know what it gives you? Victory. You know what it gives you? Victory over sin. Victory over addictions. Victory over the life that had you bound. That's what obedience to Christ gives you. And it's only in that can you find joy. You can't find your joy in earthly pleasures. You can't find your joy in sex, in power, in wealth, in drugs, in alcohol. You can't find your joy in the pleasures of earth. You find your joy in the obedience and walking obediently in Christ because it's in those moments you will find the victory that he's given you. 
So just a couple of questions and then I lied to you. I got two more questions and then I'll be out your way. Um, look, I want to talk to the followers of Christ in here. Just quickly, are you grumbling? Are you complaining? Are you known in your house or in your community, in your job? Are you known as the guy who's always complaining? Are you known as that guy? I, mean, I don't want to pick on guys because it's Father's Day. Let me, let me flip that over. Are you known as that girl? Because guys, we don't complain, right? We don't grumble. We're holy. It's always the women folk, right? No, okay. Are you bringing life? Or are you bringing death to situations? Are you shining as a star in a dark world? Are you just a part of the black hole of our culture being sucked in? Let me talk to the unbelievers. I want you to find your life only in Jesus because that's only where you're gonna find it. You will not find joy in relationships. You will not find joy. Yeah, you will, you'll have joy in them. I'm talking lasting joy where there's no disappointments, where Christ will never disappoint you, where Christ will never leave you. And when you grumble and complain to him, he's still there. You want to experience true life, true joy? It's only in Jesus Christ. And if you will repent of your sins and call on the name of Jesus, he will save you right there in your seat. Let me pray over this morning.